0: Good morning church, everybody good, everybody happy? Well I want to start this morning by confessing something, it's just like, uh oh, I knew it, I expected it from him, but I want to confess something to you this morning, I love carbs. Thank you. I love carbs. And it seems like every time that you really fall in love with something, they tell you that you can't have it. Have you noticed that? And now it's carbs. And I love everything about carbs. Most carbs are brown. Brown food, as you've heard me expound. On before, it's, 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 it includes bread, it includes cake, it includes chocolate, it includes gravy, it includes fried chicken, it includes meat. It's a whole category of brown food that I'm convinced the buffet of heaven will be replete with. <clears throat> but carbs now, they're on the hit list. I was talking to one of my band of brothers yesterday and he was telling me about the keto diet. Heard about this one? It was written in hell. (laughs) The keto diet now basically just says you can't have carbs. What's wrong with that? Jesus called himself the bread of life. (laughs) So there has to be something wrong with this theologically. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I'm kind of wounded from this just slightly, and then many of our wounds, though, go back to some type of childhood trauma. Something happened, and those of you that have ever been in counseling or therapy, or those of you who are counselors or therapists, many times we're looking for that point of entry where that fear or that wound came from. I can trace mine back to a place called Jerry's Sweet Shop. Greenville, North Carolina. Now, I was a healthy child. What was known as Big Bone. That's what your mama called you. The category of clothing was known as Husky in those days. And we were in a place called Greenville, North Carolina. We were shopping. And Jerry Sweet Shop was one of these places that... The glorious donut making apparatus was there in the front window of the place. Are you with me so far? You know those glorious machines that take the the globs of dough and they travel along the belt, they drop them in the grease and then they flip them over one time and then be ye baptized and they go through the sugar and it's a complete, it's a whole religious experience. And so I'm there as a husky child looking, looking in the window. And these glorious orbs being produced. And my mother bought a box of these donuts. Now, in those days, automobiles had this shelf behind the back seat of the car. Most of you are not old enough to remember, but you could put a small child up there. <laughs> Forget seat belts. It was just out was just but so she put this box of hot donuts on the shelf where the heat could come through. Are you with me here? The glass. And so the aroma, very much like the aroma of the incense that the priests use, <laughs> that you knew you'd been in the presence of God, this aroma began to waft through the car. And I, of course, asked my mother, could I have a donut? That seemed like a reasonable request, did it not? I didn't ask her for the whole box. I just wanted one. I was a reasonable child. And she said, no, you will spoil your supper. Well, my grandmother happened to be in the car. How many of you know that when parents fail you, you can always go to the next generation as an ally. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I, spoke, I said this to my grandmother, these people are ruining my life. I never got the donut. But I did get over this this trauma. I'm telling the whole story here. I'll get to the Bible in a minute. A Krispy Kreme opened in the city where I raised my children. Yes. And I loaded my children up into the car. And I left my wife at home. Because she's a carb hater. And I loaded my children up, I loaded my children up and put them in the back seat and dropped a box of hot Krispy Kreme donuts between the two of them. And I said, eat your way through the box before we get home. (laughs) Now my son being the obedient child, he was looking for the spirit of his mother in the car. My daughter, on the other hand, she was double fisting in the box. You understand? <laughs> Just a difference in children. But I had an expectation as a child that I was going to have a donut. And yet, one has to wonder how many of the issues of life that we face. And I use the story humorously, but... How many of the issues and the crises of life, both situationally and relationally, simply find their genesis in failed expectations? My wife and I have the privilege and have had the privilege of years of helping pastor and counsel and disciple many people. And many times we come and we're trying to help dissect that moment, that moment of conflict to crisis, but... At the genesis, at the very root of every one of them, somewhere there is an expectation, spoken or unspoken, that has not been met. Almost every issue of life that we face, somewhere has a failed expectation. Those people are ruining my life. There you go. And we look as believers at the word expectation and we say, yes, I've got great expectations. And we see certain words that we use almost synonymously expectation, hope, faith. And for the sake of this message, and these are not necessarily theologically accurate, but I'm going to make them say what I want them to say for the context of this message. Let's define those three words. The first are expectations. Defined literally, something to be considered probable or certain, bound in duty or obligated. That is an expectation. It doesn't necessarily derive from fact. It's something that can be completely contrived in your imagination, but it's still an expectation. But then there's hope. Hope, that's a good thing. We need hope. But hope, if you'll allow me to, again, define this in the context of of this message. Hope being the cognitive and emotional investment that we make in an expectation. Let me say that again. The cognitive and emotional investment that we make or place on an expectation. So in other words, we get an idea or an ideal of what a thing should be. And then we begin to hope that that expectation is going to be realized. We begin to think about it. We begin to ruminate upon it. Then the next thing you know, we begin to extend ourselves emotionally into that expectation. We begin to get our emotions wrapped up around it. Hope. And then there's faith. Now, both expectations and hope both can have their genesis Simply in human origin. If you think it, you can have it. Set your expectations high. Dream your dreams. You can have and achieve anything if you set your mind to it. Uh Uh-huh. How's that working out for you? But faith is a little bit different. You know why? Because faith has its genesis in God because faith is about the person of god you see many times we try to make faith some type of commodity some type of god gas for lack of a better word That if i can just get me a tank full of some god gas get me a tank full of some faith then i can yeah i can call it in i can make it happen captain But how many of you know that because faith is not just, it's faith in a promise, it's faith in the person of the promise. You can never extract faith from trust. Trust in the person who spoke that promise. And because faith is divinely defined, it's inspired power to bring God's will and intent into reality. That's what faith is. And we know that God grants us faith. Romans 12 says, to each is given a what? A measure of what? Faith. How many times have you said something like, I just wish I had more faith. And there's, and at times I've even heard this, and this is a, this is a stupid spirit that gets in the church sometimes. Hard to cast that one out. And you hear people say, well, you know what? If you just had more faith, your child would have been healed. Anybody, anybody ever heard one of those? Well, if you just had more faith than this. And yet, that's not so much about what you can believe in. It's more about it. It's more an accusation toward God. Because it's God who does what? He mets out to us different measures of what? Measures of faith. Are you with me so far? Now, we know there's an overlap. Expectations, hope, faith, and, but I think it's important that we, we define our terms for the sake of what I'm trying to put forth before us this morning. But then, in as much as there's a term, there are the sources of expectations as well. Where do we, where do we derive these expectations? For some, it's just an expectation that we have of ourselves. It's placed upon us. And many times, those expectations of self come from a contrast and a comparison with those around us, something that we've read. Have you ever read some, some new listicle of the seven things you're supposed to do to be a great parent? You know, 12 steps to a great marriage. Well, wrong, 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 wrong. Okay, I'm depressed. And so we begin to compare ourselves. So scripture says it's not wise to do what? Compare yourselves to the other. And yet, we do it all the time. So what we do is we create we create the perfect iteration of Jim. And then what we don't even know, we, we set a perfect iteration of Jim up on this pedestal. In reality, it's a throne. And we put this... Well, because we worship the ideal image of who we think we want to be. Come on. And then we begin to say, well, that's what Jim should look like in his highest and best form. And then every day we take a look at Jim and this Jim falls short of that Jim. And then we're depressed and disillusioned before our day ever begins because we have these expectations of things that we should be doing. And then we we, we read about great men and women of faith. Oh, they're up at 3 o'clock a.m. and Jacob's ladder descends and angels appear and minister to them and they read their Bible in the original languages for three hours and then they speak in tongues for three hours and then they're attended by angels again. And I mean, And we think this is the normal Christian life and we're just trying to get out of bed and get to work on time. And so we have these expectations of self and we're already self-defeated before we ever get started. And then we have expectations of others. Do you realize that every relational sphere that you ever find yourself, there is an expectation that is superimposed on that encounter? You have an expectation when you get in traffic that someone's not going to run into you. Correct? You walk into a place of business, be it a restaurant or a retail establishment, you have an expectation of how you are going to be treated in that setting, do you not? Because if you're not treated according to that expectation, more than likely you are not going to visit that establishment subsequent to that one visit. You walk into a restaurant, you assume that you're going to be greeted by someone. Someone's going to give you a place to sit. Someone's going to come and take your order. And at some point, they're going to bring you what that which you ordered. The, you have all of these layered in expectations that are not unrealistic. And yet, it's in those very same places where we get disappointed. And what's interesting, and I'll talk more about this in a moment, is that we have different spheres of relationships regardless of how distant it might be. But it's those that are in our closest spheres, the ones in which we are the most intimate, it's in those places that we have the highest expectations. And it's in those places that we are the most greatly disappointed. Hmm, stay with me. And then expectations in and of God himself. And we all have them and they're very high. And we come and we do a little something, something for God. And oh God, I, you know, I gave into that offering and I'm, I'm serving over here and I'm doing this. And then somehow we're not treated the way we think we should be treated. There's an expectation of some kind of reciprocity of how God is going to deal with us. And then we have a crisis of faith because God is not being who the God is that we crafted in our imagination. The God of our expectations begins to fail us. And saints, we're all in good company, good biblical company. And you read throughout scripture, folk that are continually disappointed. Moses. I mean, the burning bush and yeah, I got a little job for you. I want you to take an entire nation out of bondage. Stand up against the most powerful government the world has known to date and I want you to take him out of the wilderness and care for him for a moment. Uh-huh. Moses finally gets out there to the place. He finally says, just kill me. Please kill me. Not at all what he thought it was going to be. Joseph, continual relational disappointment. Be it just common sense just decent treatment from his own household if not being forgotten and forsaken in prison for years just told his his fellow cellmate just remember me when you get out of here and it was only in a moment of national crisis oh yeah i got this guy i forgot all about him sorry wow jonah israel what does freedom really look like remember that great soup we used to have Name of John, most of the folks that came in contact with Jesus, most missed him. You know why? Because they had an expectation of how this Messiah is supposed to show up. He doesn't show up born to humble parents in a barn. Doesn't come into a grand procession riding on a donkey. He doesn't suffer and die like a criminal. This is not what a conquering Messiah is supposed to look like different sects of jews there some were expecting him to come and set himself up militarily some politically some in the temple and as a result of those expectations many of the very group of folks that should have been able to recognize him didn't because jesus did not meet their expectations could i submit to you today many people are still missing jesus Because they've crafted a version of him that exists only in their minds. And they craft these expectations of who God is. And they miss him accordingly. Let me unpack this just a little bit deeper. Let me talk about these three sources just for a moment. Once again, the expectations of self. Let me make a statement here and then I'm going to fix it quickly before you accuse me of being a heretic if you haven't already. The expectations that you and I place on ourselves most often are higher than the ones that God has. Let me say that again. Many times the expectations that you and I have for ourselves is actually higher than the ones that God has for us in that moment. Now, you say, you mean I can do anything I want to do? I didn't say that. But what I'm saying to you is that God has already built in your weakness, your foibles, your failures, your disillusionment. He's already built the thing in. It's called grace and mercy. He's already known. And yet we think, you know what? I've been walking with God all this time. I shouldn't be doing this anymore. Well, maybe not. Yes, there's the fruit of the Spirit, showing ourselves to be disciples and all of that, yes. And yet many times, though, we set ourselves up and then we are content, I can't believe I did that. How many times have you said that? I can't believe I did that again. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I watched that. I love how the Apostle Paul so eloquently communicated his humanity in scripture aren't you now paul could be tough but paul had a he had a very very temperate view of himself and i appreciate that the book of romans which is his magnum opus this is the big theological work and not written at the beginning of his ministry but really this is written more towards the end and it, it, it this, this is not a man that's just stepped into his walk with God. And in Romans 7, we see him pouring his heart out about his own life and behavior. Listen to this. Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25. I find this law at work, that when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but they'll see another law at work waging war against my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. He goes on, what a wretched man I am. Wow. This is the Apostle Paul. This is not a pornographer. This is not a, this is not a drug addict. This is Paul. What a wretched man I am. Paul's establishing the bar right here. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then very quickly, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sin nature, a slave to the law of sin. Let me say this. God establishes no bar in your life that He Himself hasn't already taken you over. Listen to this. There is no bar, there is no expectation that God has in and of yourself that you can get where you need to get. It's why we are living under a new covenant. Because the old covenant was completely inadequate. Yes, it could be, it it, it could lead us, it could show us what we're not. But it had no capacity in order to empower us to be able to live a life worthy of the calling that God has on our life. Every expectation that God has for you and for me, he's already met by virtue of the cross. He's already gotten us over it because of his blood. Somebody say amen in here. Now, don't hear the wrong thing. Just say, oh, I can do anything. No. It's called sanctification. Sanctification, what is that? Less like you, more like God. But sanctification is not just a work of, of will and grit. But sanctification is divine cooperation. Where you allow the Holy Spirit access to those places. That yet need a touch from him. The second, others. The expectation of others. You know, rapidly when we fail to, make, to meet the bar of our own expectations, then at that point, it's called transference, we begin to look around and, well, okay, I'm unhappy with me. Let me see if there's any way in the world that I can somehow transfer that unhappiness and blame somebody else Uh uh-oh and then god gives a man a woman and a woman a man and in ephesians says it's a picture of christ in the church (laughs) boy and it's the adventure of marriage and it's an adventure like nothing you're going to be able to ride at the fall festival let me tell you (laughs) And remember, I made the statement that it's those that are in the closest proximity of your relational sphere. that You have the greatest expectation, so it is, between a man and a woman. My wife and I, next year, we'll be, have, men, have been married for 40 years. 40 years. And my wife says, yeah, that's the same period of time that Israel wandered in the desert, too. But anyway. <laughs> But you walk with a man or a woman long enough and you move beyond even words needing to be spoken. Some of you young guys, I'm just, I'm breaking it down for you. So catch this now. All right. And you, so we, we words don't even need to be shared any longer. And then you, you, you move a little bit longer in your marriage and you don't even need the look anymore. Come on, man. You know what the look is, right? But you can walk into a room and you can tell there's been a glitch in the matrix. There's a disturbance in the force. You can sense it. You just, you just, my, my four hairs just go straight up. You can, you can just, you can just feel it when you walk in. And then men's, what do we do? We begin to preemptively and proactively repent. Baby, I don't know what it is that I did, and I don't know what it is that I'm going to do tomorrow, but let me just say I'm very sorry. You were right. I was wrong, and here's the credit card. And so we learn, we learn that somewhere there's been a breach of expectations, that there was something about that moldy, smoldering garbage that you promised to take out three days ago that you don't smell anymore, but she does... That there was an expectation that was unmet. uh-oh. My wife and I see it all the time with couples. I mean, and it's not that it's not that it is humorous, but at the same time, it's so consistent, it's almost humorous, because it's always an expectation that you mean you wanted me, you I, I what well, I, I didn't know, because you weren't listening. But somewhere, there's an expectation that's not happening. My wife and I, when we do premarital counseling now, it's pretty simple. Yes, there's some assigned reading, but for the most part, we just define expectations. Okay, you write down what you expect of him, you write down what you expect of her, and then write down together what you expect of the marriage. And we're going to compare notes. Oh, it's been a fascinating exercise over the years. What do you mean, joint checking account, Jack? It's my name on the check on Friday. It is my money. You want how many children? By one wife? I don't think so. And so, so it's very interesting just to watch a young couple, you know, who are all in love and to come together and to align these expectations on this side of covenant rather than discovering it on the other side of covenant. A lot of fun. (laughs) And yet outside of marriage, we have expectations. Naaman, an army commander, had a skin condition called leprosy. Appealed to the prophet Elisha. And Elisha doesn't even bother to come out and visit with the guy. He sends his lackey out there. Tell him, tell him to, uh, tell him to dip down in this river seven times, and he'll be fine. And Naaman was like, "Hey, I'm somebody. I've come all this way. I want to see who, who's in charge." Ever been in a place and something's not going down the way you thought, and you don't want to talk to the lack? You want to? Who's in charge here? Who's in charge? Well, Naaman wanted to talk to the man of God. And it says because his expectation of how God had prescribed that he might get healed, his expectation wasn't met. It says he went away, what? Angry. And thank goodness he had some, some folk with him that had some sense. And said, man, have you lost your mind? I said, you're going to have body parts falling out all over the desert here if you... If if, if you don't get healed here, he said, get in the river, fool. So Naaman got his healing, but Naaman got offended. Why? Because his healing wasn't coming to him the way that he expected that it would. We come to the altar and we have Pastor Danelle or we have Pastor Donnell or we have somebody pray for us. And they, that's going to be it. Let go back to the doctor. You still need surgery. Do we become like Naaman? That the process by which God wants to touch us maybe isn't an alter moment. Maybe it's catalytic to some other things that God wants for us. But it's not an expectation of how we want God to move. John the Baptist, Matthew 11. Cousin Jesus doesn't even show up on the visitors list for the prison. John's been out in the wilderness preaching this gospel. This is is the one that's yet to come and yet he's imprisoned. And he sends a message back by his disciples. Ask by the way, ask cuz if he's really the one. He knew who he was. Jesus sent word back. Tell John that the sick are healed, the lame walk, blind eyes are healed. And by the way... Blessed are those that don't get offended on behalf of me or because of me. You see, there's an offense that comes many times when people fail us. We get disillusioned. We get depressed. We tend to depart and draw back from relationships, don't we? We we, we begin to draw these relational lines. We say, never again. It's only one problem. God's not designed this thing for us to live alone. And then there's expectation of God himself. Oh, my goodness. How could God? Oh, the enemy loves these questions. Because invariably, they become an accusation against the goodness of who he is. Why did God, how could God, why did God, why does God? Because we have an expectation that this is the God that I created. This is how God would deal with this thing. The prophet Jonah, four little chapters prophesied against Nineveh. The Ninevites repented. God relented. And Jonah, he just gets, God, I knew you'd do this to me. Because you're a gracious God, you made me look like a prophetic fool. And I'm so angry I could die. (laughs) This is exactly what Jonah did. Because God in his nature and his character, he's what? He's long-suffering. He has a nature and character of love. And we went, you know, if I was God, I'd already been down there and wiped him out. Years ago when I was first kind of doing the whole revelation thing and I was praying and our nation was in some spot like it's always in. Oh, God, come down and be God and just show yourself. And and I was, you know, and God said, um, your children live here. God, slow to mercy, abounding in love. God, but for the righteous remnant, would you not come down and bless our nation? It's amazing how quickly it changes is it not and we look around maybe we look around right now and saying god you got to be as angry as i am this is a mess be god fix this and god's just saying i got this i got this but we have an expectation of how god's going to do it and you know i found that god is not nearly as interested in my expectations as in the outworking of the purposes of seeing His kingdom advanced and established on the planet, even, even if the way that He does it offends me, God, really, seriously, this is, this is how you're going to do this, man. Mm. God said, son, uh, you, your expectations are a little damaged here? Yeah. You say, said, well, I've never been offended with God. Then you don't have much relationship with him. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been offended with God many times. I've been disillusioned, disappointed. Why? Because I'm intimate with him. I disappointed my kids all the time growing up. But I was more committed to being daddy than being their buddy. And in doing that, guess what? I disappointed them. Because I didn't meet their happy expectations all the time. As a matter of fact, I violated them many times in order to be the powder familias, to be daddy. Let me just tell you, your heavenly father will do the same thing. Well, what about my destiny? Your destiny is simply God's pre-ordered expectation for your life. That's all that is. Our expectations. Once again, Paul, 2 Corinthians. Three times I prayed, God, take this thing away from me. What was he praying for? God, take this away from me. And you know what God told Paul? No. Now we read... My grace is sufficient for you. Yes, it is. But we leave out what is the obvious answer to his question. God, would you take this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan, would you take this away from my life? Because this is not the expectation of how an apostolic man of God is supposed to live his life. And God says, no. May not be inscripturated, but that's exactly what God said. Because we have no further biblical evidence that God ever took it from him. But God had a higher purpose. Rather than just taking the thing of discomfort away from Paul, his higher purpose was to reveal his grace to Paul. But that was not in Paul's expectation when he prayed the prayer. What have I said this morning? For an expectation to become a reality, it has to have its genesis in God. Ephesians five seventeen says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. If we want to come into an alignment and stop living a life of continual disillusionment and disappointment, be it self, be it with others, being it with God, then we need to come into a right alignment of what His plan, what His will, what are His expectations for a matter? What are they? And let me say to you, ladies and gentlemen, it is not something that is cloaked god's intention is to make his will known to you and to me part of the way he does that is through this bible that's why pastor brett says read it every day we can find god's will revealed through this written word god speaks to us by virtue of his holy spirit living on the inside of us not only making continual intercession but providing continual revelation Of himself and his purposes. And then God's ways are simply higher than our ways. Have you ever looked back on a situation with a distance of a decade and looked at all of the alignment of how God did a thing and realized, hey, no way in the world I could possibly have been the architect of that. That job ending, that job starting, that move, that marriage, that child, that miracle. There's no way that I could have scripted that. And yet looking back at the absolute wisdom and sovereignty of God, I can say, wow, the man really knew what he was doing. And yet destroyed my expectations in that moment in the process but revealed himself to me as a result. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, help us today. Lord, you say in Ephesians that you are able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Thereby, God, we don't even want to be limited by our imagination or our expectations. God, I pray for every person here today, wherever there's a place of discouragement or disillusionment, where there's been delay, where there's been an expectation that's gone and met, be it in a relationship, be it in a marriage with children, in the workplace, maybe God, even with you. Lord, touch our hearts. Proverbs says that hope deferred makes the heart sick then God touches us where we've gotten heartsick. Where our hope has not yielded its result yet. Daddy, we yield to you today afresh. We don't just bow our heads or raise our hands, bend our knee. We yield our will. Not mine, but yours.